Welcome to Jersey Justice, a civil law podcast that shares practical tips and stories about personal and workplace injuries. Join two of the brightest New Jersey injury attorneys, Gerald Clark and Mark Morris of Clark Law Firm, as they take you behind the scenes of justice and civil law. But first, a quick disclaimer. The information shared on this podcast is for general information purposes only. Nothing on this site should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create and does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm super excited to be here with Gerald Clark and Mark Morris of Clark Law Firm, and we're going to be getting to know them a little better. Why did they even become lawyers, and why did they decide to launch this podcast? So let's get started with Jerry, and let's ask him, why did he decide to become a personal injury lawyer? Thanks, Dimple. Thanks for doing this. So I went to high school in Monmouth County, New Jersey. I grew up the youngest of 13 kids, big family. I ended up going to college at Villanova outside of Philadelphia. And I was lucky enough in my junior year of college, I did an internship in Washington, D.C. for Bob Dole. And at that time, he was the Republican leader of the Senate. And my first day at Washington happened to be Bill Clinton's inauguration day. So that was my first day at work as an intern in the Senate. So it was really cool. It was an awesome experience. One of my first jobs there, you know, it was a very prestigious thing. And one of my first jobs was to walk the senator's dog every day. So that was kind of fun. His dog's name was Leader. And it was such an awesome experience. It was the second semester of junior year in college. So it was about four, four month long internship. And I liked the experience so much that I wanted to work in Washington when I graduated college. And I realized from working there that all the people that had jobs that I would want to do all had law degrees. So that's why I initially went to law school, but I graduated, you know, I had a bunch of loans coming out of law school. And those jobs in Washington, D.C., working for Congress or being an aide in the Senate, they don't necessarily pay a lot of money. They're entry-level government positions. So I couldn't do those jobs because I had so much loans, I wouldn't be able to pay the loans back. So I ended up going, working in private practice, doing like insurance defense, which is when there's an accident, early the person that caused the accident will have insurance. And then the insurance company hires the lawyers to defend the case and, and handle the case. So that's what I did initially. And it's kind of funny when I was working down in Washington and kind of being on that side that I was, another big reason I went to law school is because I wanted to end like all these frivolous lawsuits. But I guess I was young and idealistic because in 20 plus years of practicing law, I've yet to really see a frivolous lawsuit. I'm sure they exist and they're out there. But in reality, doing these cases, we do them on contingency, so we don't get paid unless there's a recovery, and we put a lot of money into the cases. So even the good cases are fought really hard by the insurance companies that have billions of dollars you know, in the bank. So even the good cases are hard fought slogs. So the last thing you want to do is spend your time, money, and resources you know, filing a frivolous case. So anyway, that's why I went to law school. And that's where I am today. And thanks for asking. Awesome. Awesome. I love that story. And I mean, I do have to ask you, do you remember what breed the dog was? Yeah, it was, it was, 
I have the picture in my mind. It's not like a schnauzer. It was like a miniature schnauzer. It was like a small, and don't quote me that it was actually a schnauzer. You could probably Google Bob Dole's dog leader and it will probably come up the exact breed, but it was small. It was like pepper color and it was kind of funny. I used to, I think he was in the Dirksen Senate office building. So I used to walk out there and my first day at work, I'm like, I can't believe I'm walking like Bob Dole's dog. It was pretty, it was amazing. And that's what I used to do like a lot was walk his dog. You know what, Jerry? I think the dog sold you into becoming a lawyer. And with a name like Leader, I mean, that just says it all. That's such a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Jerry. Yeah. Bob Dole, he was a great guy and it was awesome, awesome working for him. But he's a war hero with an awesome story. So it was a really cool experience. Love that. I always love to hear why people do what they do every day. And you know, what makes them get up every morning out of bed just to be excited about going to work? And personally, I wanted to be a lawyer too. I just didn't want to go to law school for three years. So now this is why I love working with lawyers because I can live vicariously through them. So thank you for sharing your story. We're going to jump over to Mark for a moment. And Mark, I'm going to ask you the same question. Why did you decide that you wanted to become a lawyer? And when you were thinking about becoming a lawyer, did you always think that you wanted to be a personal injury lawyer or were you thinking something else? How did you pick your practice area? Sure. So thanks, Dipple. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. And Believe it or not, I was actually walking my dog this morning, not Bob Dole's dog, my dog, and I ran into a new neighbor who asked me that exact question. How'd you become a lawyer? How are you doing it? So I guess dog walking leads to a lot of things related to being an attorney. But so I'm one of those people that's fortunate enough, you know, you have the box in the basement of things from elementary school, like a macaroni painting you did for mom. And I've got one of those sheets that's, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? who's your best friend? You know, do you still like pizza? And I found that thing and it's like, I think it was fifth grade. I want to be an FBI agent or I want to be a lawyer. And my dad actually went through the FBI Academy. He was a police officer in the town I grew up in, which had its pros and its cons. But my whole life I was surrounded by law enforcement and I just knew I wanted to do something related to law. Seems this is a common thing with a lot of attorneys, but growing up, I always did really well with English, history, god awful at math. So I, I thought I love the idea of chasing bad guys around, doing what my dad does. But I feel like I had this skill set, you know, with reading and writing that I could go on and do something like law enforcement, but a little bit further. So initially, I went and I worked for the prosecutor's office in Monmouth County. I think in some states, it's the district attorney's office. Basically, we represent the state's interests, be it like a speeding ticket or if someone's assaulted, the state decides to bring a case, I would represent the state in those cases. And I did that for about 10 months. And I had actually clerked for Jerry's firm, the firm I'm with now, throughout law school. We actually met lifeguarding, which is, you know, there's an expression like big doors swing on tiny hinges. Well, he's the strange things where I lifeguarded at a beach that Jerry went to. He had lifeguarded there. We we did a lifeguard competition. And I actually vividly remember I left my wallet on the beach, did the competition. I came back and my wallet was gone. And I was like, the yeah, most important thing after you do these competitions is going out to the bar with everybody after and hanging out. And I was like, I don't have my license. They're not going to let me in the bar. But so I guess this is, you know, part of lawyering was able to kind of sweet talk my way 
into the bar and Jerry's in there where everyone's hanging out, we're having beers. And I was like, Hey Jerry, you looking for a law clerk? And he's like, I actually am. So send me your resume. And I sent him my resume. I remember like I walked home with a buddy and I got an email from Jerry at like 12 o'clock at night or responding like, all right, great. Come in for an interview. And I think I sat in his office for like two hours while he was working on something for the interview. And he kept looking at the clock being like, all right, I'll get to you. And by the end, he was like, do you still want to be an attorney? This is what it's like. And he, lo and behold, I think we you know, started this 45 minutes late. Jerry got a lunch appointment in like 20 minutes. He had to put off. I, I know that's a long way of saying it. How did I become an attorney? I guess the bullet points are grew up in a law enforcement family, knew I wanted to do something with law, did that period with the prosecutor's office. And then Jerry reached out and same thing. I was buying a house at the time. I lived two blocks away. It, it was a no brainer. I loved my time clerking here and then coming to work here. Mark, thank you so much for sharing that story. I love how you guys met. It's such a unique and heartwarming story of how you got this job and came on board. And I just wanted to share, the other day I was looking at a post and I saw and it said, oh, we're hiring for the FBI to be an FBI agent. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. Maybe I can do this. However, the requirements were you had to be, I think, under 32 or something like that. And I thought, bummer, you know, because you watch all the shows on TV and their life seems so exciting and interesting. Well, you guys live the same life. It's just a lot safer. I love how you approached Jerry and you basically asked for what you wanted. You know, you said, hey, I want to work for your firm. I want to work with you. I want to do personal injury law. And had you not asked him, you wouldn't be sitting here today, right? And that's the moral of the story. The story is when you ask for something and you put it out there in the universe, things come to you. And you guys met in such an interesting way, which, you know, you think, well, how did you get this job? And someone traditionally would say, oh, I got referred from law school or something like that. But you both met because, you know, Mark, you were lifeguarding. And that's just such a cool story. Thank you so much for sharing that. I got to tell you, the other, to add to that, it was kind of funny. I used to see Mark at, at the beach a lot. He was lifeguarding and I had the young kids running around and stuff. And yeah, I remember one day, you know, it was, it was a long day at the beach. It was very hot. You could tell Mark had worked there all day. And then I was kind of driving home at like six o'clock from the beach and I'm driving past this church near where we live. And I see Mark like mowing the lawn in his lifeguard shorts. And I thought to myself, I'm like, wow, I thought he was a very hard worker. And that made an impression on me. I thought that was cool because my dad used to have this saying, it was something like, I don't know, keep your, keep an eye on the nickels and the dollars will take care of themselves. Meaning like the small, the small things, if someone could do small things, it's kind of an indication of how they can handle big things and how they are. And, you know, lifeguarding at the beach all day and then mowing the lawn at the church it might not seem like much compared to being an attorney and handling high risk cases and fighting very powerful forces out there, but it does say a lot. It shows character, especially at that young stage in a career. So that, that always made an impression on me. I thought it was funny. Yeah, absolutely. It does. It shows character and it also shows work ethic. And when you have that work ethic, you can incorporate that because that's something that you have, the skills you can learn that you need to become a really good attorney. You can teach Mark things, Mark can teach you things, and that's always going to be there. 
But if you don't have the basic foundation of the right work ethics and the drive and the motivation and the ambition to do what you do every day, that's what really makes a difference. So that's such a great story. And here we are today launching our podcast. And one of the things we've talked about that's really important is helping people who get injured every single day. People can get injured on the job. They can get injured on a construction site. They can get injured while driving to work. And things happen when people get injured unexpectedly. They don't always know how to handle these things properly. And sometimes mistakes are made and those mistakes can end up really impacting their entire life. Our goal is to really educate the audience and and people who are injured or the families of an injured party so that they can have a guideline of how the justice system works and what it's like to litigate cases and handle cases in New Jersey and all the little logistics that go behind the scenes. So that's how I see it. But Jerry, I'd like you to share a little bit more about what your thoughts are about launching the show and what do you really want it to do for our audience? Yeah, it's kind of funny being in this digital age that we're in. I mean, not not to go off on a tangent, but I was listening to something the other day and it was something like they were talking about how Generation X, I think it was Generation X, I didn't even know, is that our generation or my generation? But then the new generation, I guess it's 22 and younger, is calling it the Zoom generation. And they're saying that that generation is less comfortable actually having human interactions, you know, and and they're doing more things like obviously social media and videos and stuff. So we're thinking that this is a good way to help people out, to get the message out about the law and protecting your rights in the law. I think every attorney can tell stories about they're at parties or something, or they're at a social function and people ask them, Hey, you know, this happened to my son or, or this kind of, or what, what can be done or what could happen. And people don't understand necessarily what the rights are. And if something bad happens, what can be done about it to get the person justice and that kind of thing. So I think it's an easy way for people to click and, and learn about kind of that behind the scenes thing to hear a lot of answers to questions that you might ask attorneys at parties or social functions in terms of, you know, how does this work? Also as lawyers, you know, if there's like a legal, if there's a legal case in the news or something, they'll ask you, they'll be like, Hey, what do you think of this case? I mean, I always go back. It's probably a bit outdated, but they're like, what do you think of the OJ case? And the OJ case was going on when I was in law school. And I used to answer them and I would say like, I have no idea about the OJ case. We don't actually talk about that in law school, but people would think, oh, because it's in the news, you talk about it a lot. So the podcast and stuff is a way to get that information out there about what is behind the scenes, what kind of rights do people have when things happen to them and where does what we do and where does this whole civil courthouse law thing fall in the grand scheme of things in America today and in New Jersey? And how does this fit with how people interact with each other and how the world moves? And that's kind of the idea for it. We've been practicing a while now, probably collectively, you know, 30 plus years. And we have like a lot of interesting stories that people might want to hear, you know, about what goes on behind the scenes. People hear a lot in the news about lawsuits and cases and and fall downs. But what you hear on the news a lot or in kind of standard media doesn't always tell the real story about what it's about. 
So my hope is with this podcast that we can get the message out and help to answer a lot of those questions and curiosities that people have about what really goes behind the scenes with what we do and with the civil law and how that all falls into the world and how the world turns as it relates to the courts, particularly around the Northeast area in New Jersey. That's awesome. I love that. I think that's a great reason to have a show. And I know that people will find it extremely insightful. And now I want to go over to Mark and Mark, I'm going to ask you the same question. You know, what are your thoughts about launching this podcast and what are you most excited about for this new show? Well, I think Jerry's answer was it was pretty thorough. I don't have a ton to add. I, I absolutely agree. I'll get the text messages from family members, friends, like, you know, $30 million to woman that stubbed her toe. And it's like, that's look, that's the headline grab. There's always, always more of the story. You don't want to be one of those headlines. We have a hallway when you walk in, it's got plaques on the wall. And I tell clients when I sit down with them, I'm like, you don't want to be one of those plaques. Like they're like the big verdicts, the big settlements. I think there's a stigma in it. When we talk to jurors for the first time, it's usually the McDonald's hot coffee case where it's like, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And I think the common lay person who's not involved in litigation is just like, what an idiot. This person burned themselves with coffee and is suing McDonald's, you know? And then if you dive into the case, there's all these prior records from McDonald's that they knew the coffee was way too hot. There had been prior incidents of people getting burned. And there was like an internal memo or decision where they were like, well, it's more cost efficient for us just to pay out these lawsuits than it would be to make the coffee so lo and behold, this woman, I don't recommend Googling the images of when her injuries were, but they're horrific in a very sensitive area. And then whatever she got, I don't remember the, the numbers, but it was in a state that has something called port reform, which caps the amount of money you can get for pain and suffering. So, you know, this nice little old lady who got horribly burned by coffee that this company knew was too hot. They knew it was a problem. The headline is she look at all this money she got for this little injury. And it's, you're not seeing the details that it's really way less than that. And she really went through a lot. I think besides just kind of giving people a, a resource and idea, you know, how these cases work and seeing a little bit behind the scenes of what we do, I hope that, and again, any, all, any attorney imagine can sit down and tell war story after war story and give case examples. But I think by kind of talking through some of the cases that we handle, it might help to dispel that that stigma of like, oh, ambulance chasers. Jerry's created a culture in the firm where we can be very selective about the cases we take. We're not the handing out the the call for saying, oh, you know, let's take this and settle it for whatever we can. We get to be selective on the cases we take. And ultimately, we're not taking a fee unless we get a recovery for the client. So if we don't believe in the case, we're not going to take. If it's one of those, you know, where it doesn't seem like it's something that morally we would agree with, we're, we're not going to take it. So I, I really like that culture. And I'm hoping that by doing this, we can kind of explain that. And Dipple, just before I move on, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, touch back on work ethic real quick. I have to thank my dad for that. That was a lawn that he used to cut, that, that church lawn. He was a police officer. He worked his way up through the ranks. He was the police chief for the last four years of his career. And I think probably up until he was chief, he also was cutting lawns on the side. Like any road job he could work, he'd take it. I did like a 5K race and he's riding the bike alongside. So that work ethic comes from him. I can't relax on a Saturday morning because I have his voice in my head. Like, got to get out there. You got to do something. 
it's a blessing and a curse. But I think Jerry's talked about his dad talking about, you know, nickels and, and cents and all that. And it's, I don't know who the heck you could attribute this quote to probably Plato, Aristotle, Abraham Lincoln, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, anywhere in between, but it's like, whatever you do, be a good one. Like we talk about, you could be a janitor, but you could be a bad janitor or be a good janitor. Maybe you do, you know, there's a decision that you make to, to be a good one. And as attorneys, you've got a law degree, you pass the bar, you're probably pretty intelligent or at least have some degree of intelligence. And that's where then the work ethic comes in. And that doesn't mean you're working 20 hours a day. It's that you're putting in the time so that you can do your job in an efficient way. I love that. That just shows integrity. And I think integrity, sometimes it's hard to find nowadays. When you learn those values from parents and you learn them growing up and they're instilled in you and you carry them over into everyday life and everything that you do, that's just really amazing. And what's cool is, Mark, you just answer the next question that I'm going to ask. So, Jerry, you're going to get the final question, which is, what separates Clark Law Firm from all the other personal injury firms out there in New Jersey? Well, I can't really talk about other personal injury law firms necessarily, but I could talk about, I think, what our law firm strives to do and, and how I think we might be a little bit different, at least from some. Law, you know, a personal injury firm, you know, law firms, all kinds of law firms, it's a business. At the end of the day, it's a business. You're helping people. It's a super important business, but it's a business just like a you know, a doctor's office or hospitals, their businesses is with important purposes. So there's different models and different ways to do it. The way we try to do it is, as Mark said, we are selective about our cases. We review hundreds of cases every year, and we only take a small percentage of all the cases that we review because if the facts aren't there and the law can't support it, we're not going to take the case, which is why I said earlier to this day, I've never really seen a frivolous lawsuit, certainly none that we've ever been involved with. Because even the good cases are hard to prosecute, so why would you risk all our time and money on a frivolous case, meaning a bad case? And and the way this works is these insurance companies, because in just about every case we do, there's an insurance company that's behind it, that's representing the defendant, that's hiring the lawyers and deciding whether or not to to pay or settle and would be responsible to pay any jury verdict. And the insurance companies want to know if you're willing to try a case, meaning take a jury verdict, because it's very expensive, it's very time consuming, and it's very risky to try cases. And a lot of lawyers just don't try cases. Some lawyers will have a case and they'll bring it right to the courthouse. And I have heard that some will dismiss a case rather than spend the time, effort, money, and risk on trying a case. So I think what might set us apart, at least from some firms, is we're selective about the cases we take. And like Mark said, no matter what you do, I've always believed do it a hundred percent. I remember when I was coaching like Little League, it was my kid Little League teams. Like it was crazy. I'd have these practices and I'd have these plays and, and I would always put my heart and soul into anything I did. So it's kind of like the same thing with the law firm and the cases we work on. We have to work on the cases smart and be smart how we do it. But I think we put a lot of effort into our cases. We're not afraid to try cases and we're not afraid to take them all the way. And the insurance companies know that and insurance companies want to manage their risk. And it's hard to manage risk when you put it in the hands of a jury because you don't know what a jury is going to do. On the other hand, for a plaintiff's lawyer, as I already said, 
it takes a lot of time, effort, and it's very risky to go to trial, but we're not afraid to. And the insurance companies know that. And I think generally speaking, there's never a guarantee in any case that's done. Any case we do can be lost, and we certainly have lost cases. But for the most part, I believe that we've won a lot more than we've lost. And I believe that our business model and the way we do it, it maximizes the recovery for these people. And what we do, it's not easy. You know, a lot of people would say that corporations and money runs this country in terms of donating to politicians helping politicians get elected so that the politicians then pass laws favorable to the people that are donating money to them. And in a lot of ways, what we do, the courthouse is kind of like, almost like the last, the last bastion, the last defense, kind of in a culture war of people that have the means, corporations, and people that don't, you know, or, or regular kind of middle-class people and giving them access to the courthouse. We've helped people. Like I've handled cases. Like I remember one particular case we had this, this guy was, he fell on a ladder. He hit his head. He was blind. He was an immigrant worker from Brazil. He had a wife and a family here. He was a super hard worker. He didn't qualify for any public benefits or anything because he was an undocumented worker. And he had this injury really through no fault of his own. He hit his head. He was blind and he had nothing. Like we were the only thing standing in the way between him and total destruction of his life and his family. Another firm had the case and it was a big personal injury law firm. And they said, we can't do anything for you. There's nothing we can do on this. And they got rid of the case. We came in, took the case over. And after fighting the case very hard for about three years, we ended up getting him two and a half million dollars. And I always think about that case because we changed that guy's life. And it's not like, oh, you know, he fell or spilled coffee on himself and got two and a half million. Now, this was a guy that was badly hurt. His vision was messed up from what happened and he needed this. So I think that's a super long-winded way of answering the question about what sets us apart. But in the end, I would just say, I like what we do because we can do good for people and we can also do well from a business model. So it helps us to sleep good at night for that. So thank you. That was a great response because that just shows that you guys went the extra mile for this client when other attorneys said, no, we can't get this done. We're not able to accomplish it and get it done. But you guys worked so hard for three years because you cared about the client as much as you cared about the result. And you were truly there to help. And that's what I think being a lawyer is all about. It's all about helping people. If lawyers don't want to help people, they should go and do something else. But when you're a lawyer, people are relying on lawyers for assistance. They come to lawyers when they need something, when they have a problem, when they have an injury. And a lawyer's responsibility to that client is to work hard and to do their best to get them the justice that's owed to them based on the details of the case. So thank you so much. I'm super excited for our audience because this is just an introductory episode so that everyone can get to know a little bit more about the attorneys and what we're doing at Clark Law Firm, but we're going to be bringing so much great content and there's going to be some really great stories, some behind the scenes. And I think that you guys are going to find it very interesting to see how cases are really handled behind the scenes, what's involved in the investigation process, what a deposition is all about. I am super excited. So make sure that you guys do subscribe. Any final words from, from you, Jerry or Mark? 
for me, I'm just super psyched about this and I'm really psyched to be able to tell those stories and give people information that would be helpful. So thanks for setting this up. Yeah, agreed. You nailed it, Diplo. Our job is to help people. People come to us because something bad has happened to them and we do the best we can to try and make it right. Like not to do a closing argument, but it's, we balance the scales. Something's been taken away, you know, so we have to do something to kind of balance those scales. So if, if this podcast can help anyone, I think that's great, you know, be a resource. And then we just look forward to future shows and talking about all these things that we do on a day-to-day basis. And for our audience who's tuning in today, make sure that you guys subscribe to this podcast and you tell everyone else about our show because we're going to be bringing so many great episodes. We have a series coming out, part one and part four, lots of great topics, and we will see you guys next time. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of Jersey Justice Podcast. If you're loving what you're hearing, it's time to hit that subscribe button on Apple, YouTube, and Spotify podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review online. Share this podcast with your friends and become their legal hero. Dive into more episodes at jerseyjusticepodcast.com or clarklawnj.com and check out our show notes for more information. If you're navigating legal issues and need a guiding light, we're just a phone call away. Call us at 1-877-841-8855. Again, 1-877-841-8855. Until next time, Jersey Justice Warriors, stay empowered and informed.